Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, where we're addressing Bible questions from the scriptures. We don't have Drew with us this week, so I'm kicking off the program. Welcome to everybody. If you're joining us through the Zoom app or if you're joining on my Facebook page, we're glad you're here and we want your questions and feedback as we go through the show. So feel free to chime in with the Q&A box or with the comments below if you're on the Facebook page. Uh, with us today, we've got Jeff Smelser from Exton, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Jeff. Good afternoon, Stephen and everyone. And our webcast engineer. I've always thought that was a super fancy term for that. Our webcast engineer, Jonathan Sadler from Gettysburg. He's a super fancy guy. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was about to say. You read my mind, Jeff. Good to be with you guys. And Scott also with us from Gettysburg. Hey, Steven. So we've got a couple of questions on the docket today. We'll be beginning briefly uh, where we left off last week with a question about the day of visitation from 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Jeff, do you have a comment on that? Yeah, so we, we talked last week a little bit about the idea of the word visitation is a word that can be used in a wide variety of ways, but the Greek word is is made up of two parts, over and sight, that kind of thing. God exercises his oversight uh, for good, and he also exercises oversight to bring um, correction and rebuke and punishment. And so you have this day of oversight or day of visitation in which God comes. And in First Peter chapter 2, the idea seems somewhat similar to what we see in Isaiah 10.3. In fact, the phrase is very similar where it says um, uh, in verse 3, the uh, first part of the verse, now what will you do in the day of punishment? The Greek hmm. translation of the Old Testament scriptures uses the same word that Peter uses, and there it was God coming in judgment. So what we want to talk about is this idea that there is a judgment day. So many people that I talk to now seem to not even be thinking about the end of the world. In fact, the end of the world has come to be more of a joke in common society than anything else. But the Bible does teach that there's going to come a day in which we're all going to stand before God and give account. And that's, I think, the idea that we want to talk about just for a minute here. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up. I was talking with a guy not too long ago who I had met and was just, we were talking about some spiritual things. And he said, his idea of what happens when we die is he'll just sit down across the table from God and God will ask him three questions. He'll ask him, what did you learn? How did it make you feel? And then something else, I don't remember what the third one was, but I just remember being almost aghast at like, is that really your idea of what happens after we die? That like God's just going to sit down like a buddy and ask us how we feel about life and kind of how it went. And that is just such a, almost couldn't be any more different than the, the idea we get in scripture of what happens when we die. You know, in the religious context among religious people, we used to hear a lot about the idea of a last day or a day coming. People would talk about the day of Armageddon. People would talk about the rapture coming, but those people who were talking about those things, they belonged to a particular fringe uh, dispensational premillennialism it was very speculative. They had all these things that they thought they knew were, were going to happen, and some of them thought they could predict the date. And it seems to me that that's losing popularity. Uh, does it seem that way to you guys? 
that this I think so in part because I mean there's been so many predictions uh yeah you know it, I've got a book from the 20s and it said Mussolini looks like he's the antichrist you know there's uh you go back and they predicted so many times and then every once in a while you'll see it in the news and the internet somebody predicts a day again and you know it, everybody knows it's not going to happen in fact Jesus said it'll happen you don't expect it. So, so. so you cry wolf so many times, and then right. people don't—they be, just don't believe it at all. But the Bible does speak of a day that's coming. It's not associated with all of the stuff that the premillennialists would talk right. about. But there is a day of judgment coming, and I guess you know Peter's going to talk about that. But maybe one passage just to start with is Matthew chapter twenty-five here, and and what we see in Matthew chapter twenty-five, verse thirty-one: When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, all the angels with Him. Then shall he sit on the throne of his glory, and he, and this is now verse 32, before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. And then it goes on and describes those on the left hand being cast into the lake of fire and those on the right hand having eternal life. And it's not only a day of judgment for mankind. It's also a day of judgment for the heavenly hosts. Satan and his angels are cast into the lake of fire. So there's a day coming when all of this creation, the spiritual and the physical, all of it is going to come under the judgment of God. Another passage, John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Which, by the way, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I'd like to point this out. The Bible makes it very clear that we're not saved by our works. Ephesians 2, by grace are you saved, not by your works. Titus 3 uh, by his, not by our works done in righteousness, but by his grace, he saved us. But the Bible over and over teaches we're going to be judged by our works. Notice the difference in the verb there. Um, Jesus in Matthew 25, the judgment, and, and what was the difference in the people that cited here? Some people, you know, the sheep, you know, fed the hungry, you know, visited the sick. Yeah, the uh, works were being described. Uh, Peter in first Peter one says that we're going to be judged by our works. Paul in Romans two says we're going to be judged by our works. And, uh, and, and in revelation 20, if somebody's can get to it quicker than me, somebody read those verses there at the end of revelation 20. Well, in revelation chapter 20 and verse, I guess I'll start in verse 11. I saw a great white throne in him that sat upon it, whose face, the earth and the heaven, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. And, and of course, one of the problems is that we've all done evil works. So that's the problem of Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. So I, in that, go ahead. If I could get one more comment here um, in Second Peter chapter three, yes, that's good. Peter talks about the fact that 
while some are saying, well, he's not ever coming back, that everything has gone on the same as it always has. And then Peter reminds his readers, well, think about it. No, not everything has always gone on the same. God destroyed the world once before by water with the flood. But he says in verse 8, verse 9 rather, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. He's long-suffering to you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and so on. He says it's going to come as a thief when people aren't expecting, aren't ready, and he describes what's going to happen. And then here's the part I want to emphasize, verse 11. Just get this in your minds, listeners. If you believe there's going to come a day, it could come tomorrow, it could come 100 years from now, it could come 1,000 years from now. We don't know. But there's coming a day, and and when this day comes, and it could be in our lifetime, uh, there's going to be this judgment. And then it says, <laughs> verse 11, seeing that these things are thus all to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy living and godliness, looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God, by reason of which the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. He says, what manner of persons ought you to be? And that's the point. How ought we to be living, given that this is all going to come right. back? We don't know when. Yeah, that's right. It makes me think about Paul preaching to uh, Felix in Acts 24 and the summary statement of Paul's message to Felix in Acts 24, verse 25 and as he reasoned about yeah. righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Now, there's something about the, the message of the gospel that includes <coughs> coming judgment. Mm-hmm. And that if we realize that we are not ready for that judgment, there's an alarm that should accompany that. The gospel is good news, and you don't understand the good news if you don't understand the bad news. And I guess I would underscore, it's not just a matter of, well, whenever I die, that's my judgment. There's actually a day coming when it's going to come to end simultaneously for all of us, and we're going to be parted one way or the other. Then we might go to 2 Corinthians 5. Well, I want to touch one more thing in 2 Peter uh, before we get there, and then we'll go there. Right after that other text, it said, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We don't want to be found an enemy of God at the day of judgment, to be found without spot and without blemish. Now, A, our problem, as we mentioned before, is we've all sinned, so how can we escape the, the penalty of judgment? Well, by grace because Jesus died for our sins. But there's also something in 2 Peter that is a responsibility of ours. He's not saying you haven't done anything spotted or blemishing, but what was it that he said God is waiting on? God has delayed, uh, back up in verse 8, one day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as you count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all that all should what? Come to repentance. Yes. He provides the grace to pay for the sins so that those sins are gone. And on the day of judgment, they won't be there. But to receive that grace, he expects repentance out of us. And so now go ahead, Jeff. Well, 
So then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes in verse 10, For we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. You think back to the passage, Stephen, that you mentioned, and Felix, Paul preaching to him of self-control, righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And it says Felix was terrified. If we think about standing before God and giving account of the things and receiving recompense for the things done in the body, whether good or bad, we ought to be terrified if we are not in Christ Jesus, where the things we've done wrong have been atoned for, taken care of. If I have to stand before God and receive what I deserve for those things that I've done bad, I ought to be terrified. Yeah, thank God for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. And with these thoughts in mind, that we are going to stand in judgment before God, and that God, who knows the secrets of the imaginations of our hearts, Jeremiah, uh, in Ecclesia, every secret thing shall be brought before God. It's a good segue to bring us to uh, our next question a viewer submitted. Uh, it has to do with married couples uh, and the plague of pornography. Does somebody have the question? I've so got the question read? here. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, what's the best way to help a brother or Christian married couple who is battling or recovering from porn addiction? So this is, a, it's, an, it's an epidemic problem uh, in, in this day and age. It's not an, a new problem, but the degree to which it is a problem is largely new because we have computers and, and, and phones and such that can get anything anywhere. And there is a huge pornography industry uh, that is built upon as a business model, just trying to trade on these basis uh, of perversions and corruptions of what God created to be good. And they've just turned it into a horrible, abasing thing. And there's a lot of people having uh, uh, that have let themselves being captivated by this. And it brings destruction and misery and a lot of problems to a lot of marriages. So we want to talk about this. And there's a number of things we want to go to, but let's start with this one. Uh, suppose I tell you, well, well I have an addiction. Um, and then I start to tell you what my addiction is. Well, I, I have an, you know, an addiction to alcohol, or I have an addiction to this, or I have an addiction to that. Uh, opening question, uh, which verse in the Bible mentions addiction? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I don't. I don't remember one. Um, What's the Bible word for somebody that's addicted to alcohol? He's a drunkard. Drunkard. That would be the Bible word. <laughs> what, what is the Bible word say for a man that's addicted to cheating on his wife? He's an adulterer. Yes. We're not saying that there's that there's not such a thing as addiction, but when we. St- begin with the word addiction, too often it starts connotating and people find solace in what kind of idea? They're a victim. That's right. I, I, I can't remember for sure. I think it's a Commonwealth of Pennsylvania ad campaign about the opioid epidemic. It may have been from another source, but I think it was Pennsylvania here where, we, where all of us are, um, in which they make the point that opioid addiction is not a character or moral flaw. 
it's a, and I don't remember whether they say disease or what, but when we put something in the category of addiction, that's kind of what we're trying to do. It's not a choice on my part. So it's not a character flaw. Well, it it is. That's how I got there. I've seen mental health pamphlets telling, you know, uh, talking about um, like with alcohol or drug addiction. It's like, you need to realize that this is a disease like tuberculosis. Well, it will, it will harm your body and you will have disease as a result of abusing your body with drugs and alcohol, but it isn't, not, who do you know that says, well, I started, you know, taking tuberculosis when I was 13 at a party and, you know, and now, <laughs> you know, I'm, I go down to the tuberculosis bar and I get some tuberculosis and I can't help myself. <laughs> that is not, and it went on to say, this has nothing to do about willpower. Now let's wean him off tuberculosis. Let's give him some mild or good tuberculosis to get him <laughs> Yeah, there is a moral failure here. If you are an alcoholic, we wish you well, and we would be glad to try and help you. But part of that is you need to realize that you have a moral responsibility not to be a drunkard. And not to deny the fact that sin, including pornography, including viewing pornography, uh, can become habit-forming. And remember that habits and bad habits are very hard to break. And enslaving. Enslaving. Six. But, but the fact is, it, it is your choice. It's my choice. And if I've done this, if I'm in this, I can be forgiven of it, but I'm going to have to choose to yield to the will of God. Yes. And I'm going to have to be willing to take steps to avoid temptation uh, because I'm making a choice to avoid yes. this sin. Let's read a few verses from Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in Newness of life where our addictions are accepted. Yeah, that's not what it said. <laughs> no, what it said. Newness of life. Not the old life. Right. The new life. And, and there's this too. Sometimes you hear the word struggle. Say, well, well, I struggle with this. Well, I struggle with that. And lots of times I don't think they're necessarily struggling. It's it sounds more like it's what you're doing. Yes. So, you know, if, if, if I'm a thief, you know, and every time I come into your house, you have to put away all the valuables, you know, and you still find, well, where'd my wallet go? Where'd my, you know, and you talk to me and say, well, I struggle with theft. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I've illustrated this by, if you've got a guy, he's in the Marines and, you know, he's in Afghanistan. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if every night he leaves the Marine base and he, you know, goes out and meets with the guys and helps plant bombs and explosive devices. Who's he fighting for? He's fighting for for the Taliban. Would he say, well, I I battle the Taliban. No, you don't. You are the Taliban. (laughs) If you're going to battle something, now in a battle, in the Christian battle, do sometimes we fail and get on the wrong side. Sure. What did Peter do when Jesus gave up? When and Jesus looks like he gave up and let the bad guys win, what did Peter do? 
he gave up and he denied the Lord three times. Yeah. But then in Acts 4 and 5, you see him in front of those same people. And what does he do now? He speaks out boldly. and Yes. He's, Jesus. he's repentant. He, he's not addicted to denying the Lord. Uh, now, does it become enslaving? Yes. Let's read a few more verses. Um, it says in verse 12, let, this is Romans 6, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do right there, right there, right there. Yeah. That's, that's what, what it is all about. It's about what do I obey? My own cravings, my own desires, Amen. or do I obey the will of God as revealed by the Spirit? And when we're looking at pornography, it's not just something has taken over us. We are obeying our own cravings. Can, are, can they be habit-forming? Can it be hard to break that habit? Yes. Can it be enslaving? Yes. Enslaving. But we are making a choice to obey that, and we don't have to. Starting in verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching uh, to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free from what? Free from righteousness. Yeah. But when we are slaves of righteousness, if we want to be free from sin, we need to be slaves of righteousness. So yeah, there's an enslavement, but we need to, um, it's, uh, we need to do what's right. So a couple of things on this. One is that uh, we have to keep coming back to this from a biblical worldview. And that is not that we can put off our, our sins on some kind of uh, disease or something like that. At the same time, I've talked to a lot of people and I'll be open on this program that I myself, this has been one of my struggles in the past. And by God's grace, he's helped me to overcome this years ago. There are times where we are being told just to try harder, try harder, try harder. And there are times where it is very, very difficult uh, and things are being tried. And it, there's a feeling of hopelessness that can set in with sins that are addictive that is very difficult and can be, you can get into a mode of despair mm -hmm. uh, and feel that there's not a way out. And one of the things that is so wonderful about the gospel and about what Jesus offers is, is it does require something of us. Yes. It requires our effort. It requires our will, but it's more than that. Uh, the Lord helps us and gives us strategies, gives us tools with which we can fight sin in our life. And his grace gives us 
the most important tool, uh, the forgiveness hope. of our sins. Hope and for- forgiveness, because hope because we can have forgiveness. That's right. And, and talk about strategies. One of the things that, that we have to do, you know, it, I really have to. I really have to decide. I want to get away from this. I want to overcome it. And if I really decide that, then I'd be willing to reach out to someone and say, "Listen, this is." This has been something I've been doing wrong. I don't want to do it. I need you to check on me. I need you. I need to have you hold me accountable. I need to be able to call you and talk to you. And if I'm not willing to do that, that's what I need to do. I haven't really made up my mind. I want to get away from it. Also, this came in a few minutes ago, uh, and it says, I find the suggestion that alcoholism and drug addictions are mere moral failures disgusting. The laughing and mocking is inappropriate. I offended somebody by laughing about uh, some of these things. I apologize for offending you on that, but these are moral failures. We didn't say there are mere moral failures. We said that it also involves disease. It will bring disease to your body. It will cause you a lot of physical ailments. So we didn't say it's a mere moral failure, but it is a moral failure. And listen to these words from Scripture. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. There's instruction there. This is not a passage about people that have leukemia or tuberculosis or cancer. This is about people who choose to engage in this behavior. And it says, don't, and it begins with, it doesn't say don't drink it. It says, don't look at it. So many sins start with where we're looking to. And if you keep looking there, then yes, you end up going there. Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, stings with an adder. It brings addiction. It brings, it brings destruction to your health. It brings also financial problems, brings lots of things, destroys families. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mess. They struck me, you say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I do not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. That's an addicted man. And, there, and it's a moral failure in him too. And, and all right. So one of our viewers didn't appreciate the, I guess, laughing and mocking as he described it. And we're, we're not wanting to, and I'm not wanting to laugh at a person who is caught up in the sin of pornography. But here's, here's the thing. I want to make two points here. The fact is, when we talk about things, that, and we tend to use the word addictive, we're talking about things where it seems like the individual who's doing this is not making a choice. And, and the fact of the matter is, in the moment of looking at the images or something, he may not be consciously thinking, okay, I'm going to go do this. He's not even thinking about whether he should or shouldn't. He's just caught up in it. But he made a choice to put himself in a position where he could do that at right. some point. And, and so 
let's let's understand that that ultimately even if once you get into it you're so in if i can use the word enraptured or whatever caught up in what you're seeing that you're not even thinking about right and wrong you're just you're just taken up in it well okay but you made a choice at some point to get yourself in that situation and and then what we do is we rationalize and we we say well if I just look, but don't, you know, we, we start rationalizing. And the point of what was described as laughing and mocking is this. When we rationalize, when we try to make something seem right to ourselves to justify our doing it or to excuse ourselves, our rationalization is irrational. It's absurd. And that's what we're trying to point out as we talk about such things as tuberculosis. And it's, it's absurd to the point of com comedic. It's, it's absurd to the point of laughable. And that's what I need to recognize if I am having this problem with pornography. It's not just that I need to laugh at somebody else, but I need to realize my own attempts to rationalize my conduct or to excuse myself are absurd and therefore laughable and, and, and not go that route. I want to share something with you. Uh, somebody, does everybody remember when doc, Dr. Laura Schlesinger was on the radio? Yeah. Okay, she was, I believe, a psychologist, and she said something along this. It's really important, but first I want to read the Word of God, and then I want to share what she said. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting <laughs> verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate, excuse me, I want chapter 6, verse 10. Looked at the wrong chapter there. Uh, verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor whom in practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were past tense. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. I want to relate what Dr. Schlesinger said. First, we're going to see what Stephen has. Stephen. Go ahead. and I've got something else. All right. So uh, I was listening to her one day and a fellow called in. He was an alcoholic. And he had a question for her and he said, uh, well, he said, I was, I'd done the 12 step program, but then I fell off the wagon. You know, should I go back and do the 12 step program again? And she said, no. And he said, what? She said, no, it won't do any good. He said, what do you mean? And she said, why do you drink? He said, I I don't know. He said, yes, you do. She said, why do you drink? She said, this is national broadcast radio, but we're just going to wait until you answer the question. Why do you drink? There was some silence. And eventually he said to, to make the pain go away. And she said, right. Did anybody tell you that you're going to have to feel, and she was some language won't use here, but she said, you're going to feel really terrible for about a year and a half before you can get sober? He said, I don't like to feel terrible. She said, that's why you're not gonna stop. And he said, but, but they, they told me it's a disease. It, 
She said, oh, I know we say that. She said, you know why we say that? One, if we take it away and make it sound like it's not your fault, more people are willing to come in for therapy. Two, insurance companies have to pay for diseases. But she made it clear to the fellow, you've got to choose. You've got to be willing to go through the pain of getting free from this thing that enslaved him. He said, but I don't want to feel bad. And she said, that's why you're not going to get sober. And it was, it was a hard thing to hear, but there was a lot of truth to what she said. And if I am in sin and I'm continuing in sin and I am making choices because the drunkard, now a, a person might say, I'll be an alcoholic the rest of my life. And somebody might say, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I haven't had a drink in 20 years. Good. There's repentance. They may say there's still a, you know, a physical craving. Yeah, but you're not responding to that. They're, they're, you're, you've decided to do the right thing. But the person that is still stopping at the package store, walking into the package store, picking up the product, pulling out the money, handing it to the person, going to the car, going, those are active choices all the way through. And it is a lie to say, I cannot help myself. When we come to um, pornography and addiction and, and comparing it to drug addiction, we have a, a viewer who says, uh, it's a choice to use drugs, legal or illegal. And he says, I had that problem when I decided to turn my life to Christ. I got rid of that and all the surroundings, so-called friends, etc. When you have an addiction, uh, you have to change your surroundings. In other words, and I've, I've worked with men who, uh, this is a common problem. They're, they'll be in a halfway program and they're, they're going to get out of this program. And one of the things I have to tell them is don't go back to the same neighborhood where you were when you were in all these things. Don't go back and associate with the same guys you were associating with when you were doing drugs. They're doing drugs, and it's just going to take you right back into it. So if you really want to get away from that, get away from the influences that lead you into that. Now we come to pornography. Well, pornography is usually, I guess, not a group activity, so it's not like there's certain friends. that maybe they're friends who talk about these things, mm -hmm. but, but there's still this, this thing. How do we access pornography these days? It's through the internet. It's through the computer. It's through the telephone. And if I tell you, if I say, Jeff, I can't control myself. I just keep looking at the porn on my smartphone here. I've tried to stop looking, but then I keep looking at it. I, I, can't, there's, I can't think of any way to stop looking at porn on my phone. Get a dumb phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, but... So, you know, we live in an age where we're, but it's not just the fact that we have access to the internet. It's if we have access to the internet when nobody's looking over our shoulder. You know, when you're at work and, and your boss can walk in and look over your shoulder at your screen, you're probably not going to look at pornography on your computer screen. But if your computer screen is turned in such a way that nobody walking into your cubicle or your office or whatever can see it, then you may think you can get away with it. So like our viewer is commenting about drugs, he's saying, don't go back to those surroundings. I may have to make sure that my surroundings are such that I am not, I don't have opportunity. And so I, I, one individual I know of was in a situation where he, he had a job that, that required him to be uh, access to using a computer and the circumstances were such there was no observation. And so to, to just to, to, to make that situation otherwise, 
he would just make sure that somebody knew anytime he was going into that situation, somebody was aware when he went into this, that situation, how long he was there and when he left and he could be held accountable. And what, we, what we've hit on here is really coming back to our viewers question is what are some strategies that we can use if someone is caught in porn addiction? And we've really identified two of the main ones already. Jesus words in Matthew chapter five are critical for us to come back to Jesus knows this is not a new problem. Uh, some of the tactics may be new and faster and more pervasive, but what Jesus offered as a solution, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And of course, that's exactly what's happening in pornography addiction. Right. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Amen. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And the first thing that needs to happen with any kind of addiction is to get rid of the sources. Yeah. Uh, if I was trying to quit smoking and, you, and I said, well, I, I keep a pack in the basement, you know, just in case. Right. I, <laughs> You're making provision it, for the flesh. Get all of it out of the house. Yeah. You, you, you start there. And that is the solution that Jesus offered. And we've got to take Jesus seriously. Absolutely. In Romans 12, at the end of Romans 12, it says, make no provision for the flesh. You know, and, uh, you know, here's a little boy and he wants a cat. And his parents say, no, you can't have a cat. But he starts putting cat food out on the porch. He's going to get a cat. <laughs> you know, you're making provision for Poor the skunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's going to get something. Uh, this input, Jesus said, cut it off cast it from you. I remember one time some young men were talking with some other young men. They were talking about, oh, it's sad to hear their, their, just the sadness of the, their lives and pornography. Uh, I won't get into the details, but it was just ridiculous how much time a day they would spend on pornography and just horrible. And then one of them says, we'll always be like this till we get married. Well, I got news for you. There's a lot of people had a pornography problem. They got married. They, of course, they kept a pornography problem. But then one young man got up later and he pointed out, he said, I had this problem in a year ago and I got rid of my computer and I've been living pure for a year. Good. Good for him. He did what he's supposed to. I want us to get first Corinthians 10, 13, but go ahead, Stephen. Uh, go ahead with what you're about to say. Right. First Corinthians 10, 13. Anytime, if I come to you, if I'm a liar and I say, uh -huh. I can't help myself uh, if I'm a drunkard, if, if I'm addicted to heroin, if I'm addicted to pornography, whatever. Not, and, and how many times have we heard this or possibly said this? I just can't help myself. What does 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 say? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Okay, a way of escape. able to endure it. So in this particular context, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, what was the sin that they needed to stay away from? 
Idolatry. Idolatry. And what was it they were wanting to justify doing? Going into idol temples and partaking yes. of the feast. Yeah, right. and if you're familiar with that context, it's, well, it's okay for us to go into the temple and eat the idol sacrifices and enjoy the food and the other things as long as we're not doing it. And with all the other things said in this, he says, look, there's no temptation. There's a way of escape. But then the next verse tells us what the way of escape is. What does he say in verse 14? This is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Yeah. So if I am a drunkard, what do I need to flee from? I need to flee from alcohol, and I yeah. need to flee from the circumstances where I'm likely to partake in it. So my buddy is having everybody over to watch the Super Bowl, and they're all going to be drinking. What do I need to do? I better find something else to do, someplace else to be. Yeah, my coworkers are saying, hey, after work, let's head down to the bar and get a drink. What do I need to do? No, thanks. I'm not yeah. going to. I'm driving along, and I see the package store, and I think, oh, I could. what do I need to do? Find another route home. Oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't flee from it. It's one of the problems with sin is when we're trying to get close to it. If you try to get close to sin, believe me, you'll succeed. So our, our viewer who was talking about the, the laughing and mocking earlier, he made another comment. He said he was referring more to the drugs and alcohol than pornography, kind of mocking that. He was referring to mocking um, being addicted to alcohol or drugs. And he says they are diseases of which there may be a moral component. To say anything else is absurd. Here's the point I want to make. If we talk about, say, sex addiction, uh, th that can talk a lot about now, yeah. They what? And people talk a lot about yeah. clinics. You know, it's, well, it's, they talk about that. And, and what we're really talking about is promiscuity. We're talking about living sexually immorally. That can lead to physiological ailments, yes. to disease. You can get gonorrhea. You can get syphilis. You can get all, all sorts of STDs. So, yes, there can be a disease that results from it. But... The behavior is a moral issue. Yes. And when we talk about drug addiction or alcohol addiction, yes, there can be some physiological consequences. There may be the chills and the fever. There may be breaking out in sweats. There may be jitters. There may be inability to sleep. There may be all kinds of physical ramifications that, that come about. But at the heart of the issue is a moral issue. Yes. And that, that's what needs to be addressed. That's not necessarily going to solve the problem of the physiological, the physiological right. issues, ailments, immediately. Right. Uh, but I have right. to recognize, first foremost, there's a moral issue. Right. Stephen. I know we just got a couple minutes left here, but as we talk about practical strategies, ways that we can help ourself or someone else to overcome this, James 5 and verse 16 has been tremendously helpful to me. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Uh, yep. If someone you know is caught up in this, one of the best things you can do is to try to be for them a place that they can come for help. Mm -hmm. Listen to them. Ask them about their struggle. Uh, be willing to sit down with them and work with them on practical things. Uh, I remember the people who first did that for me, and it was tremendously difficult for me to open up about that. And I was so grateful for the grace and the patience that was shown to me, uh, not just at that time, but through the years that I struggled with this. 
And I don't usually do this, but I want to put in a plug for a book that I think is very useful because there's a lot of reading out there and some of it I think is actively unhelpful. I have not found helpful the every man, every man's battle or every young man's battle. Uh, but this book I have found helpful. Um, Finally Free by Heath Lambert. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, it is a biblically centered book. Um, I wouldn't agree with the writer's theology in every place, but uh, it's not really centered on that. It gives some very practical strategies. And if you want to start with somebody, I, I suggest sitting down together and reading through a chapter of that book, maybe once a week and discussing it together. Uh, that If you don't have any other tool, that is a helpful place to go. And of course this book will point you to the scriptures. That's our most powerful tool. Um, again, what was the name of the book and the author again? If final, somebody wants to order that. Finally free is the title of the book and it's by Heath Lambert. And, uh, that's, uh, there's a lot of resources out there, but this, uh, boils it down. It's a very succinct book. It's a very biblically centered book. And I appreciate, uh, a lot of the things that this book has to offer. Let's come back and say some more things on this topic next week. We've spent a good bit of time on just the idea of the ways that our society uses terminology to take away the moral responsibility part. Um, let's, uh, next week, let's come back to this, and we'll spend more time talking about some of the practical solutions. We've talked about some, like there, there's a book that would be helpful to someone, and the flee thing, and knowing that there's a way of escape. There's some other things, too, that are very important along that line. Uh, and so let's come back to this topic. We'll start there again next week. Uh, but I want to just close with underscoring this again. We live in a society, we live in a society that our doctors are trained under evolutionary agnostic or even atheistic viewpoints that we are an accumulation of chemicals, accidental and natural selection. And so the solution to problems from that mindset is that if I'm behaving in an unconstructive manner, the problem must be with my what? Chemicals. And so what's the solution? Get better chemicals. <laughs> now, we are made of chemicals, and chemicals can be a serious problem in the body, and you may need medication to help you in some chemical situation, but there is the, the, our, our society doesn't begin with the understanding that there is a moral responsibility that man has and a God that expects us to make moral choices and that we are going to stand, as we begin the program today, before God in judgment for what we have done. And that mentality is something very, very different. And there are many ways in which our society has undermined moral responsibility to make everything not my fault. And I'm the victim. When I am sinning, I may be a victim of my own choices, but I need to stop viewing myself as the victim and realize that I'm also being the perpetrator. Thank you to everybody for tuning in this week. Hopefully we'll be able to pick up next week with some more information and some practical suggestions. Uh, thanks to everyone who gave us some feedback this week. We're always looking yes, for you. more questions and uh, for feedback during the show. So thank you to everybody. Uh, continue to come back to God's word for answers and we'll see everybody next week. Lord willing. Thanks for all the comments and feedback. See y'all next week. Bye.